Amen. Well, praise God. This is an unusual Sunday because not only is it Memorial Day, it is also Pentecost Sunday. So I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I uh, was kind of tore betwixt what to do. Do I want to preach a message for Memorial Day or I want to preach a message of, you know, uh, on Pentecost? And then I thought, well, you know, I could get over here and I get into, you know, what we need to fight about in America and this and that and the other. And then and I thought about it and I said, man, you're going to get mad. Probably going to say something you shouldn't, so you better stick with Pentecost, so... We're going with the Pentecost message this morning, and <clears throat> keep praying for America. So anyway, get your Bibles out, and if you would, go to, um, I think let's go to Leviticus chapter 23 first. You know, hold on, I'm having technical difficulties. Have y'all noticed how... <clears throat> You know, what has it been, three weeks now it's been raining, something like that? And, uh, and prior to that, no matter how much feed you fed your animals or water you put on your crops or water you put on your grass or whatever, right, whatever level it be at, uh, everything's just barely hanging on. And then all of a sudden it rains and then... I mean, everybody's slicked off and fat, and the, I mean, deer just slicked off, all, all the sheep, all the animals, everybody just looking good, you know. I'm kind of feeling kind of frisky myself, you know, just kind of got fat and slicked off. And, and so, uh, <coughs> you know, it, didn't, it just took overnight. It just took a couple of weeks, and the whole world changed, right? Well, that's kind of like Pentecost Sunday, all right? But I need to explain something to you. I want to show you this so that you can grab hold of really what took place on Pentecost. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of you in here. Maybe maybe there's a lot. Some of you, a few of you in here. You've at least been offended by a Pentecostal. And because there's some laughter, I know that you, you, you've been in those situations where, where you got into a church that was a little crazy or around somebody that was a little crazy and, 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 and you know got emotional and got... You know, kind of out there and kind of freaked you out. That's all happened. Well, that's not going to happen here today. Uh, I, I just want to preach to you the Word of God. I just want to show you something. I just want to preach to you about what Pentecost Sunday is all about, okay? Why the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost is the point I want to try to get across this morning. So we have to go all the way back to the book of Leviticus to understand that the day of Pentecost was not a random thing that happened. It was not something that just you know, like God said, okay, now push the button, and then it happened. It was already predetermined through the Levitical feast that God had already assigned all the way back with Moses of what Israel was supposed to do. It was already pre-assigned with every one of them. Now, they were going through the feast and doing these things, but they had no idea about the day of Pentecost because they were looking, they couldn't see into the future. We get to look backwards now and look in hindsight. Y'all know hindsight's always 2020, right? And they got to look, we get to look backwards at what, what God was doing and, and what he arranged and the type and the shadow that he set up in the Old Testament. And we get to say, I'll be there it was. Now I see it right there. All right. 
But what gets me is that the scribes and the Pharisees of the, of the, of the day, in Jesus' day, should have known what's going on. All right, But it took an old fisherman named Peter to get up and speak to those guys and tell them what was going on. And I'm going to show you why that was a miracle too. So if you notice in the book of Leviticus chapter 23, and I don't want to go into all of the feasts because it's going to take me the whole service. But just read verse 1 here. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Now the very first feast, there's seven. The very first feast takes place every week. It's called the Sabbath. So what you're doing right now, now you can get in there. You know, people are going to argue, well, was it on church on, supposed to have church on Saturday, supposed to have church on Sunday. I'm just glad that anybody goes to church once a week. I'll be honest with you. I'm just glad somebody goes to church on once a week because we we're in such a mess in the world right now. Nobody wants to go to church. So I'm just glad somebody shows up. But if you notice... In the feast, honoring God once a week, having a what was called a holy convocation. Look in verse 3. Six days work shall be done on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work in it. The Sabbath is the, it, it is the Sabbath of the Lord all, for all your dwellings. Sunday, uh, 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 the first feast was supposed to be a day of rest and a day of worship. Hello? So that's why you come to church on Sunday. Or you can go to church on Saturday if you want to. Or you can go to church on Friday and Thursday and Wednesday and whatever day. I don't, I don't really, that's not my issue. My issue is one, one day a week you're not supposed to work and you're supposed to worship and honor God. That's the very first feast. So some of y'all have been celebrating the Feast of Israel for a long time, didn't even know it. You thought you were going to church. But no, you were doing what the Lord had set up, okay? So the second feast that was set up, the Lord said in verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times on the 14th day of the first month at twilight. It's the Lord's Passover. So the next feast that came about that God had said about was Passover. Now, we've I talked about Passover this year and about the blood of Jesus. You can go back and listen to some of the old messages. I don't want to go through all of that. It's glorious. It's great. But Passover, right, was when the death angel came through Egypt, Right? And they had to put the blood of the lamb over the door. And then the angel passed by if they were in the blood. But how did they, how did they, how did they, how did they, excuse me, how did they uh, have the service or have, it, it was all done solemnly. They had to have no leaven in the house. They had to be dressing and, and waiting with their staff in their hand. They had to eat it all. And I mean, folks, literally, if a death angel's outside your house, I mean, you're, you're pretty much not wanting to sing, you know, praises. Hello? You're in prayer saying, oh, God, don't kill me. Right? Y'all all with me. Okay? So my point is, is that that, that that feast that they were having, it was, you know, it was about no sin in your life, taking all the leaven out of your life. Okay? It was solemn. It was... It was the death angel that was blood. It was the blood of Jesus. So we know that Jesus, hello, he is the Passover lamb, right? And so Jesus fulfilled that Passover celebration, the Passover feast right there. He fulfilled it. So then, you know, just as always, it gets kind of muddied up. And so we start having Easter. All right, and getting things kind of muddied up. 
and not celebrating Passover and seeing what Jesus is really all about, right? Okay, enough said. So then he goes on, and he talks about the same thing. Verse 7 says that it's going to be a holy convocation. Don't do any work and all that kind of stuff. Look down at verse 9 now. The next feast that took place. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests, and you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. And to be acceptable on your behalf on the day of the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. You shall offer it on the day when he waves the sheaf, a male lamb. And he goes to here talking about it. And this is called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, the Feast of First Fruits, <coughs> forgive me, I kind of got something in my head this morning. And it's not all me. <coughs> the, uh, the, fir- the, 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 Celebration of first fruits was they were they were they were reaping the harvest and so it was glorious, but it took place three days after Passover. Okay? Now, if you go try to figure all this out in, in exactly the timing and this and all, it gets kind of confusing because you gotta understand the Jewish calendar is not like our calendar, and so the days and the stuff and gets in, they count a day from the evening to the next evening, and so we count it from, you know, 12 to 12 and whatever. So, But it's roughly, just give me this one, okay? Don't hold me to the foot to the fire and say, Pastor's preaching heresy. I'm just telling you. Roughly three days later, the, the first fruits took place. And it was a rejoicing time. And you went before and you rejoiced and you waved because God had blessed them and they had uh, provision. And it was usually the barley harvest. Okay? Am I doing Okay. Y'all with me? Still follow along this. Don't get bored. Quit. Okay. So that's three days. What happens three days after Jesus was crucified? Resurrection. What does Paul call Jesus? The first fruits. Right? So that that celebration has been fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection. Y'all with me? Okay. Then it was, it was said, if you look down on to verse 15, it's called the Feast of Weeks, but they call it the Feast of Weeks, and I'll explain that in just a second. It says, you shall count for yourself from the day of the Sabbath. That day you have brought the sheaves of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Okay, so seven times seven is 49, plus a day is 50. So 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost. Oh, it's not really Pentecost. It's actually called the Feast of Weeks. All right? It's called Pentecost because Pentecost is the Greek word 50. Wow. Revelation. So they call it Pentecost because that means 50 in Greek. And so they translated not the Feast of Weeks, but it translated Pentecost. So we got Pentecost Sunday. Hello? Okay. Now, folks, I'm painting with a big, broad brush. You can go study all this out. There's books out there. There's all kinds of stuff, but that's not my point this morning. You can go in-depth into this as deep as you want to. I'm just giving you the slightest little bit of an overlay here, okay? So this was a celebration. Pentecost was the, the celebrating of the wheat harvest. And God told them, if you go on and read it all there in Leviticus 23, to come in and, man, I mean, hooping and hollering. 
and rejoicing. You took two loaves of bread. The priest got up there holding two loaves of bread, and they did a big wave offering. You know what a wave offering is? It's simply lifting up your hands and waving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right? It's a wave offering. Took two loaves of bread, of leavened bread, big, fat, juicy ones. Not the get the sin out of your life, not the solemn assembly of Passover. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and dying for us. But the celebration of, Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit. Lord, you've poured out your Holy Spirit on us in a rejoicing and a jumping. See, that's why people don't like it, because a lot of people like the solemnness of Passover, but they don't like the rejoicing of Pentecost. Why do we do that? Why are we people that, you know, we, we'll, we'll be solemn. But to be rejoicing, we're like, oh, I don't dance. Unless it's a two-step. Put a little willy on, I might be able to dance. But uh, I know it. It's something, there's something about us. There's something that is so demonic from what the world does to steal masculinity of men where it's not masculine to show emotion to show rejoicing to lift up your hands it begins to the, the world begins to put that down that you're just a you know you're a nancy boy you're a sissy boy you you, you steal the masculinity around of somebody sitting there saying i can lift my hands to the god who created me and if you don't like it i'll lay hands on you hard fast and continuously Goes hand in hand, you see. But the world wants to steal that. They wants to steal that. And so when a person gets saved, it sometimes is uncomfortable for them at first to show emotion, to show hands raised or worship or wave offering, you know, or whatever. Because that's what, it's anti the course of the world. Hello? But the Feast of Weeks, every, you see there's three, feet, three of the seven feasts, every male in Israel was required to come before that day. And Pentecost was one of them, or Feast of Weeks. Passover and Tabernacles. Every male had to be there. Everyone had to participate. So that meant God wanted everybody to be there and rejoicing. And today, I don't know, again, my timing today in Israel. They're celebrating the Feast of Weeks. And they're eating and they're rejoicing and they're being with family. It's an it's a uptime, you know? Not a time of solemnness, but an uptime to be happy, okay? So what I want you to understand is <clears throat> all of this stuff, we know that the Feast of, of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost or Pentecost has been fulfilled because... You can read Acts chapter 2. We'll read that in a minute, right? Okay, so Passover, Jesus fulfilled it. First fruits, Jesus fulfilled it, right? Pentecost, Jesus again fulfills it because he went to the Father and he said, Okay, Daddy. So the next feast that comes up, you can find it there in Leviticus 23, is the Feast of Trumpets. Right? I don't know. Come on, come on. Some of you, you old, you old scholars, come help me here. 
Uh, uh, what, what is trumpets? Where, where, where in the New Testament we have anything about a trump sounding? What, what happens when a trump sounds in the New Testament? Oh, yeah, I think that's, that says when the trumpet sounds, Jesus is, that's his call, right? He's coming back, right? So then, because we're here, and that hadn't happened, then somewhere in this timetable, we're in between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. Because the next feast is the Day of Atonement. So what does that sound like? Sound kind of like the millennial reign, Jesus coming back, setting up government, everything running righteously, everybody's atoning for the sin, like the tribulation, right? Y'all with me? And then the seventh feast, the last one, is the Feast of Trumpet. I mean, the Feast of Tabernacles, where everyone was, in, was instructed to go build a little tabernacle, a little, you know, we had had to build it out of cedar around here. And we ain't got nothing else to build out of. We had to cut down cedar limbs and cedar, make you a little, little shelter. And you stayed out that night looking up at the stars and basically praising God for how big and awesome he was and that he was living and dwelling with you. Now, does that not sound like John 14 being fulfilled when Jesus says, come on, I got a mansion built for you and we're going to dwell together and live for it? Does that not sound like the end of seven feasts? All I'm saying is God's so amazing. He sets all this up, and, and Israel worships and has this. Some of it good, some of it not so good, you know, because over the years things happen, and that gets filtered out, and people start replacing this and that and the other and getting religious and that. But, I mean, God had this set up where they were worshiping. Do you know, do you think about this? Have you ever thought about this? <coughs> that Jesus attended Passover services before he was the Passover lamb. How do you think that felt? Jesus went to the celebration of first fruits because he was a Jewish boy. They all celebrated. Jesus would have gone to a Pentecost service thinking the whole time while he was eating the little... Uh, breads and the little, you know, delicacies or whatever they had there to, to celebrate with. And while he's eating, I'm thinking, y'all ain't seen nothing yet. Right? Because he was going to fulfill them and make all that happen. Now go to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. So Jesus did all this for us. Let's see what it says. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Amen? So Jesus is reconciling us, right? Thereby putting to death the enmity. So wait, there was enmity between us and God. But he stopped it. He put it to death. He put that, that God's not mad at you. Listen to me. God's not mad at you. Because of what Jesus did. 
I heard a, <coughs> I heard a report survey, you know, so it's one of those things, right or wrong, but it, I liked it. And it said that, I didn't like the, the, what the survey says, but I'm just saying I knew the answer to the survey. It said that there's like 40% of young people today are totally depressed and discouraged. The reason why is because they have no one that encourages them or nothing that is encouraging to them. And I thought to myself, my gosh, if you just had a revelation of how much God loves you, that how important you are. God is always, he's always stretching out towards you mercy. He's always stretching out towards you grace. He's always got love coming your direction. He's always for you. He's, no matter what's going on, no matter if the tornado is spinning around you, God is still for you. And talk about being encouraged, no matter, I mean, I can, I can, I can sit there and, and go into a pity party and say, hell, nobody likes me. And then I'll set to stop and say, well, but God. Well, he's a majority. Hello? You with me? There's always encouragement in God. So it says he's not mad at you. And he says, and when he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We both, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Folks, we've got to understand something. From the day that you got saved, from the day that you gave your heart to Jesus, God now is trying to do construction on your foundation. Some of you might have to have foundation repair. Some of you might not have a foundation. Okay? But God is working. This is called the process of sanctification, but it's actually a construction project. Hello? It's a construction project that's going on in your life that God is taking you, and man, and, and he's, he's working it all out. But he's not <clears throat> putting in the cabinets before he's got the walls up. See, we always, in that, we always get messed up because we want the finished product instantly. But I can tell you, God is not going to get the finished product in your life until you step across the line into heaven. We're a work in progress, every one of us. Hello? Un unless you think you have it down perfect, and if you do, well, then we need to take you to freedom prayer and cast the spirit of deception out of you because you don't have it perfect. Hello? So we're a building project. It's going on all the time in you. Everything in life, listen to me, everything that's taking place, the good points and the bad points are about the building project going on in your life. We don't like it. It's like I said, how can you be more than a conqueror if you do not have anything to conquer? You can't be the world championship prize fighter if you never fight a fight. That's why God loves to use people that are about as messed up as they can get. Because they've won some battles, they're still alive, they hadn't been taken down. 
A person who's never had an obstacle in life, I don't have a lot of confidence that they know how to fight. But those of you that have had obstacles in your life and you have fought and overcome and you're still alive and you're still fighting, then I'm like, hey, way to go, man. I want to learn something for you. How'd you do that? How'd you develop that strong right hook? And see, we always think that anytime somebody goes through a problem, oh, it's the devil. Their devil's after them. He's got them down. You know, what are they doing wrong in life because the devil's over there? Well, listen, if you have a perfect life, then I'm pretty sure that you're doing something wrong. If you don't have any obstacles in life. Because the devil doesn't even have to mess with you because you're just accommodating him. That'll mess your doctrine up some, won't it? But have you ever noticed that, especially, especially charismatic and Pentecostal people, anytime something goes on in your life that's difficult or wrong or you're going through an obstacle, well, they are, they're at you like, what did you do wrong that this has happened? Have y'all never had that? Y'all just all of a sudden looked at me, this blank stare like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Come on, is, it, am I, is that good? Is that right? Has that happened to you before? And what I'm saying is, just because something went wrong, it's neither this nor that. It's you're going to overcome the problem because God's working in you. He's working a building program going on in you, and he's wanting to make a strength place here, and you're going to defeat that thing, and God's going to show you how, and he's going to work in you because God wants to dwell in you. And he can't dwell in you if you have no room for him. And there's so many Christians in the world today, they have no room for God. They just want to fire, you know, ticket so they don't, you know, they can get a, a get out of jail free card, fire insurance, so they don't go to hell. But they really have no room in their life for God. That's what America is going through right now. Everybody wants to indulge in their flesh. Nobody wants to bring God into the middle of it because if he does, he's going to start a different building project. And they don't want that building project in their life. They want their house to look like this. I mean, I could jump up and down on this, but I can tell you I'm going to get myself in some serious trouble. But I'm just telling you it's the truth. People trying to figure out and wonder what they're what house they're in? Well, good Lord. Anyway. But God's working in you. He wants to build in you. But you've got to have room for God. All right? Now, so Jesus fulfilled Passover. He fulfilled first fruits. He fulfilled Pentecost. He fulfilled all this for us. Right? So that the enmity between us and God was gone. I mean, just look at this. Between the, the, it was gone. He took it a wall, tore down that wall of separation between us. Then he, you know, by rising from the grave, he poured his blood out on the on, on the mercy seat. He then, by fulfilled first fruits, made a way for us to get to heaven because he became the first fruits of many more, so that we could follow. Then he poured us out. He says, okay, Father, I've done the fulfillment. Now you can pour out your spirit upon everyone so that the law won't have to be by flesh done. It can be within their hearts. Now let me just show you this. This is where Christians get off. Because you cannot go and take the Bible, take the Ten Commandments, take the, the you know, whatever knowledge you have, whatever books you read of anything like that, and look at it in head knowledge and serve God. 
That's called religion. You're serving out of your head, not your heart. God said, I want to come and I want to build this building, this temple, so it can be a temple of the Holy Spirit and that my spirit can come in in you and live in you and abide in you and I can keep construction going. Hello? I can keep construction going in you and put my laws within your heart so that you want to be good. You want to serve God. You want to do what's right. So if you ever want to wonder why, ever wondered why Christian, somebody calls himself a Christian, but then acts like a heathen, why they do that, Right? Won't forgive, be mean, be ugly, gossipers, backbiters, all the things the Bible talks about. Why that person be like that is because they've got it in their head, not in their heart. God says, I want to pour myself into your heart so that you want to live for me from the heart, not the head. You do it because you feel, you know that it's right down inside of you. I don't want to do that. Not, well, let's see, the, the number 46 law is, no, that's not what you do. You say, somebody, you know, come on, let's go rob a store. <coughs> and you say, no, I don't want to rob a store because the Ten Commandments says don't. Where'd you get that? It just came out of your head? You shouldn't do that because the Ten Commandments said it? God says, I would rather have it on your heart that you don't want to do that. And he say, neither whether you know it said it in the Ten Commandments or not, but my spirit's on the inside of you, and I don't want to do that because it doesn't bear witness of me. I don't think that's why we should steal. Now, I just want to say this, because Texas is getting ready, if I understand this right, where they're going to, they're going to put the Ten Commandments back into the classrooms. Right? And I rejoice over that. When I was a kid, I sat there. I looked at the Ten Commandments. All right? I'm glad it's there. It should be there. But I'm just telling you, a person who serves the Ten Commandments out of their head is going to become religious. But a person who serves the Ten Commandments out of their heart is filled with the Spirit. That's the difference. So then it becomes our job to accept it. So look at Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus speaking, he says, so I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he not give him a, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? So then the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer because the believer asks. Not because the believer jumped through hoops. Not because the believer finally ascended into the higher plane of spirituality. No, because the believer asks. See, when Jesus comes into your life, He starts the home building process. Well, there's already a place at that point for the Holy Spirit to be. But you have to ask the Father, your heavenly Father, and then what did he just say at the first of it? If you ask, 
uh, you receive. Right? To come live and to become the temple of the living God. Go to John 14, 23. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him or our abode with him. All right? The whole point is God wants to be in your house. The whole point is that the, the, the God that created the heavens and the earth and all therein, the stars, everything, created it all. He wants to come live in you. And it was never possible until Jesus did what he did. There was no way. God couldn't live in your house because your house had sin in it. Then the blood comes over your house and your house then can become a habitation for God. But it is a work in progress. Hello? We once were in Mexico. Uh, Frankie and Darlene, they can, they can testify this. They were there too. We stayed at this hotel called the Yo-Yo. It was probably the Spanish would have been Jojo. But anyway. And everything in the room was in concrete. The bed was concrete. The headboard was concrete. And I'm not testing this. Just wave your hand. Right? The footboard was concrete. The drawer, the dresser drawer beside it was concrete. Everything was formed in concrete. There was a mattress thrown on top of it, but everything in it was concrete. I like the concept because in that way my wife can't move furniture around. <laughs> but I'm telling you, in this house that God's building in you, he doesn't set it all in concrete. Because he's still moving it around in your life and adjusting some things and helping you get through some things in life that you didn't know were coming. All right? So he wants to live in you. Now go to John 17, 11. I want to wrap this thing up. If you want to know how, what your prayer should sound like, read John 17. We get a whole chapter here of Jesus praying, of how he prayed. So if you want to see, read it. But look at verse 11 here. He says, no longer, or he says, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now jump down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, who would that be? That'd be us then, Right? that are believed in Jesus through the words of the apostles, that would be us he's praying this for. So this is a personal prayer Jesus prayed for you. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you, have, you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The whole point was Pentecost was coming. The whole point was Jesus said, man, I want y'all to be one. This is the point of the Father. I want to be one with you. And so if I'm in you and we're dwelling together, that you, they can be one. This prayer was prayed before Pentecost. 
Matter of fact, it was prayed before the Passover and before first fruits. But Jesus is praying. He said, I'm praying. I want, they, we want to be one altogether. Hello? How important you are that God wants to be with you. You think about that for a minute. How important you are that God wants to dwell and abide and live and be in you. He wants to get up every morning and put his arm around you and have a conversation. God Almighty. But you see, when we're all off over here complaining and, 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 and griping and all this, and we're not, when we're not in the position, we're not in the house helping him with construction, we're outside in the yard just kicking it up. So let's go to Acts 2, and I'll finish. So this happens then. This event takes place. Now, I want you all to understand something. God, God has events take place in the world, and he doesn't have to ask you for permission to do it. Okay? I just want to start this because you already know the first part. I just want to start in verse 14, Acts 2, 14. Because the day of Pentecost comes, the Spirit of God falls. The, the, the believers there are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. Everybody's saying, what is this going on? Some people said, man, who broke out the strong hooch? They're all drunk. Some people didn't know what was going on. All the people are speaking in tongues. People are hearing them praising God in their own language, from languages that they did not even know or heard. And they, they're, 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 this is all taking place. It's chaotic. It, they're messing up the Passover service because they're all wanting to go eat their little cakes and have their little religious service. And now these crazy Pentecostals are, are going nuts and everybody's doing these things and they're saying, what is this? Because God has his agenda and he doesn't care what man's agenda is. So Peter, standing up at the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known unto you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. <clears throat> but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So Peter here, and this is why I feel very confident preaching things like this, because I'm going off what Peter said. The apostle Peter said, this is what Joel was prophesying. So he's interpreted the Old Testament scripture for me. You're following me? Because Peter said, this is what Joel said. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. So then, let me just say this. So then you have to put yourself, this is kind of another message. If he says that this verse came to pass over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, and they called it the last days, right? Because God said, in the last days, I'm going to pour my flesh out, my spirit out on all flesh. And it happened 2,000 years ago. So then they're calling those the last days. So we entered in 2,000 years ago to the last days. All I can tell you is that we're 2,000 years into the last days. I don't know how long the last days last. Hello? But we're in the last days. So if somebody comes up to you and says, we're in the last days, you can say, yes, we are. We've been in them for over 2,000 years. All right? That I pour my spirit on in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. 
Your old men shall dream dreams. That's because they take so many naps. <clears throat> yeah, we didn't get the, you know, the, vis- the, the other part. We got the, you know, the nap part, the dreaming dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servant, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy and show wonders in heaven. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then that means the last days started 2,000 years ago at the day of Pentecost. And at the end of the last days, it's going to get really bad because the moon's going to turn to blood and all that right before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So the end of the last days is the great and awesome day of the Lord. The return of Jesus. The Feast of Trumpets. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That is the period we're in. The one in between Pentecost and trumpets. That's where we're in. I can't tell you how long they'll last. I can't tell you when God's going to say, it's time. I can tell you that trumpets begins in September. And the dates vary because of the calendars and all that kind of stuff like that. But I'm just telling you, that's where we are spiritually in the dynamic of the things going on in the world. All right? So at this point, we're supposed to be in the point rejoicing in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and walking as, with, as one with God. That's the place we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be long-faced Christians. Oh, what's going to happen? How's that boat going to go? We worry about too much. We're supposed to be rejoicing at this place. In the Holy Spirit, in the day of Pentecost, we're supposed to be happy and saying, well, I don't know what they're going to do, but I know what God's going to do. Come on. I mean, we have all the prognosticators talking about how bad everything's going to get. I'm just saying, well, I just know what God says. It's only getting better for me. I'm only getting a day closer to being in heaven with Jesus. Right? Right? I'm only, getting a, I'm only getting one second more, one, one, one step closer every day to being with Jesus and to seeing what he's going to do right before he blows the trumpet. Because I know it's what's coming. So right now I'm supposed to be rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, that doesn't mean I, re, I, I fall down and go to boohooing and crying when I have a problem. No, I have the Holy Spirit to help me to overcome and conquer and build whatever tabernacle or, or, or construction needs to go on in my life. We should be the happiest people on the face of the earth, but we're not. And you know why? Because we're in our heads and not our hearts. We should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Man, nothing can offend me because, glory to God, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. What do you think, Holy Ghost? No, okay. Oh, well, don't worry. We just love them going. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. But no, we got Christians out trying to kill Christians and and, and, and all kinds of goofy, stupid stuff going on. Everybody hating Christians, hating this and doing this and that and the other. When we're supposed to just be in the time of sitting down and eating and rejoicing with the Holy Spirit. 
And then we got Christians in there. Oh, that's not no Holy Spirit. We are Holy Spirit. Those who I don't got no. Ain't gonna see me speaking in tongues. Do nothing. I ain't gonna mess with that stuff. That's voodoo, hoodoo, man. We ain't gonna do anything. Might be the devil. Devil jump on you, get you filled to go. And I, you know, hey. And I just want to say, folks, read the Bible. Come on, just read the Bible and look at what God says. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is get yourself in a place and say, God, I want you working in my life. I want you building in my life. I yearn to have more of you in my life, overflowing, coming out all over the place. Lord, I just want you oozing out of every, every, every place of my being. Lord, fill me full of the Holy Spirit. And he will right then. He will right then. It's not complicated. It's very simple. It's just a determination of your heart and your yearning of your heart. Will you ask and will you believe? Will you seek and will you find? That's all it's about. Amen? So I want you to take this message to heart. Because I told you where you're at. I'm telling you, I, I personally think any day the Trump could blow. I personally think that things are being set up. But then again, I don't know. Hello? You can go look up the articles right now, but I, I, I didn't, I never, I never, I didn't, in all my end times figuring out, I never figured out that the Taliban from Afghanistan was going to attack and declare war on Iran today and start blowing up and shooting into Iran, and they're fighting over water. And one group is Sunnis and the other group is Shiites. And so a war has broken out. So Iran and them trying to blow up Israel and saying all this big stuff and helping Russians and all that just got attacked by the Taliban today. I didn't figure that in my figuring. That was not in my world figuring that this was going to happen. It just happened. And so I, that's what I'm saying to you. Nobody can put their finger and say, this is it, and this is it. I just know that we're supposed to be rejoicing, because I can see it. We're supposed to be living in the days of Pentecost, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, eating and drinking and rejoicing and being so glad. Amen? And be Christians that have a great optimistic outlook and said, bless God, we're going to do whatever God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. We'll stand to your feet. Can I have my prayer team come down? If you're on the prayer team today, can you just come down? Now listen to me. Church, if some of you in here today, you may be, be saying, I, man, I want to make sure I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, come up here and pray with these people. That's why they're here. Highly trained professionals up here just to pray with you. So that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit or you could be saved or you could be, you just got some financial problems, health problems, whatever's going on. That's why we're here. We're here to pray. We're here to believe to see miracles take place. Amen? But for those of you out watching, listen to me. If you're out there and you don't know that you're right with God, you don't know if you die today, you'd go to heaven. Well, listen to me. You're going to need to call out upon the name of Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. He is the Passover lamb who paid the price for you. And if you'll call out, the Bible says, upon his name and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to wash you in his blood, he will. He'll touch you right wherever you are. Driving down the road, sitting in your house, no matter where you're at, he will bless you and touch you. If you will just call out upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And so I want to pray for everyone in here. And so if you want, if you want this prayer, grab it right now by faith. Father, I just declare 
For, Lord, those out there in life that don't know you, that, Lord, they just crawl out upon the name of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, come into my life. For those that aren't filled with the Holy Spirit or don't believe they're filled with the Holy Spirit or questioning whether they're full of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would just call and, just like you said, ask and receive. Lord, that they would call out and you would fill them and touch them with the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, where I know I can see it in the Scriptures. We're to be living in this time. It's called the last days, Lord, but we're to be rejoicing in the Holy Ghost is what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Excited and rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. And so, Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for blessing the people and opening their understanding and filling them full of, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. That those that call out upon the name of the Lord and those that call out upon you, Father, to fill them full of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you will. And that, Lord, we'll rejoice through these last days. We will rejoice, and though a thousand fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, Lord, I just declare it's not coming nigh us. Lord, I praise you for it. I thank you for it. Now bless them, and let us go out into this world and be a blessing to others, Lord, in every place we go. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.